I'm Roger Miller, and this is Collective Mass Radio. Hello and welcome to Collective Mass Radio. Uh, on this week's episode, we chat with TikTok Games about some of their experiences with Unity, as well as their up-and-coming game called The Adventures of Pip, which they are currently kickstarting. So um, I really urge you guys to, after the show, go and kick them a couple of bucks and see what they come up with. Uh, the gameplay stuff that I've seen so far looks fantastic, but before we get into that, I just wanted to talk about Everplay. As you know, Everplay has recently been acquired by Unity, but you might not know what it is. Uh, Everplay is a gaming service that allows you, the developer, to uh, include an API that can record the player's gameplay video as well as their facial expressions while they are playing, um, and then post it online uh, to any of your favorite social media services. Uh, You can immediately see that the value proposition in this is a lot better than just posting one of your high scores so if you get a chance definitely check it out it's available for free on the asset store Um, and next week we will talk about planomics which is the more recent acquisition by unity but um, now let's go talk to tiktok games well hello and welcome to uh, collective mass radio i'm here with tiktok games um, and they are the creators of uh, panda pop and um Pug run. Uh, I got it right that time. Um, and I'm just going to go around the room and ask everybody to introduce themselves. Um, so we'll start with you. Hey, I'm Charlotte, uh, Charlotte Jackson. I went to CalArts and now I'm art lead on a project called Adventures of Pip. Uh, I'm Joshua Green and I'm a tech artist on Pug Run and on Adventures of Pip. And I'm Mark Gomez. I'm the creative director of the studio. Um, I'm Garth Smith, and I am uh, the lead programmer on Adventures of Pip. Well, fantastic. You guys have been using Unity for some time now, correct? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah I think three years. Wow, nice. One year three. And um, have most of your games been 2D based? Um, I'd say maybe half of them have been 2D based. We jump around doing some 3D and 2D, uh, but I think since I've been here, we, we've really been trying to develop the 2D engine on it. Right, right. And uh, your flavor of choice for 2D? Uh, it varies. I mean, Pug Run is like, uh, you know, like cartoons, kind of like vector-looking art. Um, pixel is obviously like pixel art, though we fudge some of the rules sometimes, <laughs> the resolutions and things. But um, let's see, what other 2D games? Um, we, our very first 2D game was purely pixel-based, um, and that was an endless runner. Um, but yeah, as far as... As a direction with 2D, it's just whatever really makes the prettiest type of game. Whatever uh, makes the most sense for the concept. Yeah, too. currently, as far as what we're doing with Unity, we're using smooth moves, and we're trying to do a, a little bit more of a vector art, flash-style animation game. Yeah. Right. Um, can you guys, I mean, if you've done a lot of 2D games, can you walk through what the first 2D solution is that you used, and then kind of like how you chopped and changed to get to where you are now? Okay. Uh, I think I'll go ahead and answer that one. Um, one of the games we did, Pugrun, that was actually probably the first game I was lead programmer on, and uh, that one was purely sprite-based. It was a purely sprite-based, the first first version of it. Um, everything was done in sprites, so it was hand-drawn frames, you know, and we'd go through the frames one at a time. Um, one of the things that we discovered, though, is, like, sprite animations take a lot of RAM. Right. Like, it take a lot of memory, a lot of memory. Giant and, um, sprite sheets and everything. Yeah, giant sprite <laughs> sheets, sprite atlases, all that. 
And one of our release platforms was the iPad 1, the first iPad, <laughs> which I don't know if you know, has 256 yeah. megabytes of RAM on the whole device, which left our texture RAM budget for that device under 40 megabytes wow. for sprite sheets, which... I guess if anyone doesn't know what a sprite sheet is, it's pretty much like traditional animation. Every single frame of the drawing is a unique drawing. And so we're just rotating through those frames and having all of those drawings in there at the resolution that they are, it's huge, really huge. Yeah. Um, Especially so, because, I mean, older games that use sprite sheets would have pixel art, which could be really tiny, but this yeah. is like full, like, illustrations. Yeah, it's bigger than a, uh, like a Street Fighter sprite, twice <laughs> <laughs> the size at least. Yeah. Each, yeah. So, frame. so that, that actually caused a lot of problems. Um, I remember, like, we probably had like a, a month delay when we hit that memory wall and we were like, what are we going to do? Right. So um, that kind of led us when we started our next project. Um, Panapop, I think, is the first game we released that uses smooth moves right. instead of sprite sheets. Um, and smooth moves is kind of, I don't know, it's really similar to Flash. Oh, yeah, it's similar to if you set up a, like, puppet or rig, basically, in Flash. Um, After Effects is kind of similar, but they have more, like, like an actual bone system so you can warp art. But smooth moves, it's like... You set up this kind of rig, and you have separate pieces. You have to cut up where you want joints to be, so like the upper arm and lower arm have to be two distinct parts. And then you set keyframes, and it tweens, and you save a lot of space that way. You get a higher frame rate that way. Um, the animation is like super smooth. Uh, you guys reference Flash? Were you? Did you guys come from a Flash background, or you oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Right. That was that was the program I did all my student films in. I. I mean, it's kind of a janky program, but I have a lot of love for it anyway. Uh, we did the prototype of uh, Adventures of Pip with uh, Flash animation, and then we exported the frames, and then we had giant sprite sheets for that. Right. <laughs> it was cumbersome, but it ended up um, kind of teaching us how to approach the smooth moves way. And smooth moves, everybody picked it up super fast. Yeah. Right. All the people who already knew Flash were able to yeah. jump on it right away. Is smooth moves um, very similar to Flash, their, their editor? Pretty similar. I mean, you can't, you don't draw in it. You just have, like I said, the kind of puppet, and then you keyframe right. the animation. Um, but it is, it is really similar to, like, certain approaches you can take in Flash. So we, we kind of have to hybrid, then, with, with uh, Photoshop? Hmm? Um, as far as when we have to do the art before bringing it oh, into Oh, right, yeah. Moves. Yeah, we create the art assets in excuse me, Photoshop and then bring them into Smooth Moves, set it all up, animate it. Um, yep. Right, right, excellent. Um, and so the, the, the actual 2D tech that you used for that, was that all 2D toolkit or uh, were you using uh, X2D? So we, we actually probably have three, three different add-ons we're using for um, 2D art. Um, we have Smooth Moves, which we use for like character animations. Right. Um, we have NGUI, which uh, you know is really popular, and we use that for all our GUI and our HUD right. buttons, um, any whatever. And then um, we use 2D Toolkit for any <coughs> other kind of 2D art that's not really animated but in the game. Right. And um, the main reason for that is like NGUI is really set up for like GUI and HUD stuff. Right. Not so much for interacting with in the game. Right. And we were already using 2D Toolkit for um, tile maps, so we just continued using it for the 2D art, in-game 2D art. Okay, excellent. Um, and uh, why did you choose 2D Toolkit? 2D Toolkit, so when, when we picked add-ons, I mean, there's, I think, I feel like there's two main things about an add-on when you're deciding to purchase an add-on. 
Um, one of them is pretty much, you know, it developer time is really expensive, right? Right. Like, so most add-ons cost less than a day's worth of developer time. To use toolkit is no exception. Um, the other thing really comes down to is, like, time savings, right? Um, I mean, that, that is also related to developer time. But the main advantage of, like, 2D Toolkit is they had an amazing, you know, they have all the sprite sheets and all that, which I know Unity has now, too. We didn't have that when we started. Um, it also has a tile map, which we use for our level editor and our level layout, which is wonderful. But um, I think the main advantage is just we don't have to debug. Because right. debugging that, that can take, you know, easily a week or more trying to debug a 2D art animation system. Right, right. You know, so... Um, yeah, if, if, you know, in professional work, I don't want to do debugging. I'd rather get a solution that's already been done, is really popular, already been tested, you know, and that's why I'm with 2D Toolkit. Excellent. And um, so most of our listeners are aware of the price points for Angui and 2D Toolkit. What about Smooth Moves? I believe it's, what, $80? I, I don't know. If I'm not that. entirely I sure. But I, I know it's, it's very affordable. Right. Yeah, right. it is. And um, there's a pretty large like user base online too so you can go and find answers to questions and get support really easily it's i mean they're still working on things and improving them um, but yeah it's it's a pretty solid little plug-in excellent <laughs> excellent um so i mean you guys were talking about you know work for the ipad one and it's the bane of every mobile <laughs> existence ever um <laughs> but now with your latest game you're moving to um to pc and hopefully console Yes. Um, can you talk a little bit about why you wanted to make that transition? Well, uh, we just started this Kickstarter project. Um, it is coming from a title that we did initially as mobile, but um, since we were able to acquire it back from our publisher, we decided do it. We we really want to take advantage of what this can do on PC. Right. And um, talking to Garth as far as some of the limitations that we had on mobile. For it, um, we don't have those same issues as far as doing them on PC, as far as um, like particle effects. So and, many particle um, effects. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, collisions with the environment and stuff like that. So there, there's a lot of things that we want to try out now that we aren't restricted to, you know, the mobile environment. Well, uh, yeah, that's that's really exciting. So this new game that's coming out is The Adventures of Pip. That's right. Mm -hmm. And um, can you give us a little explanation about what the game is? Uh, all right, so the game follows this this pixel named Pip uh, in a kingdom where your pixel resolution determines like your social hierarchy. So the royal family is high res; they're beautiful, they're detailed, and everything. And Pip is just a single, solitary pixel. Right. Um, and then this dark queen sweeps in; she steals all their pixels and you know absconds with them. Everyone is reduced to a single pixel, and Pip is the only one who still has the courage as a single pixel to go and confront the queen. Along the way, he, you know, beats up enemies, he gains their pixels, he grows in resolution and ability. Right. Um, so aesthetically, there are a lot of changes as you go through the game. And you gain more, like, cool powers. Like, you can start wielding a weapon, and then you can start, like, doing fancy combo attacks. Ledge and, grabbing, yeah. running, you know. It, 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 it should be very easy for the player to understand that they're gaining abilities. When you see you're a single block, there's only so many things a little block can do. Once Walk you have, and jump. Yeah. <laughs> you once go. you've got little stubby arms, you can use those arms. Once you've got, you know, legs that have knees, you can run and jump. I mean, do a lot of these other crazy things. So 
So in the way that I understand it, you're progressing from like a, a really low-res kind of environment mm -hmm. to a higher and higher-res environment? Is that true? The environments or? have a little bit of a transition, but it's mainly in the character that you can see the big <laughs> evolution. The character and uh, the enemies as well. Enemies as well, yeah. I mean, you start off facing lower-res enemies, and by the time you get to the end, you're facing down some really scary, high-res, powerful stuff. So. Right. Um, so I was talking to you guys earlier about your prototyping process. So... This is, you talked about the getting this game back from the publisher. It's obviously something that you're in love with. Um, how did you get to the point of where you thought this game was going to be really successful? What was the steps involved in your prototyping process? I think the way we, we do every prototype, or the way we're trying to do prototypes, is that we, we have an outline on kind of what we're looking for in a gameplay pitch. From there, um, we the ones that we like, we just go into prototype with them if they're clear enough to do a quick prototype. And from that prototype, um, you know, I guess the ideas fail fast. So mm -hmm. if, if we prototype it, it doesn't look like it's working, scrap it, move on to the next thing. So. And, um, and so you guys have obviously put a lot of thought into this. Why do you think that um, this game's gonna work? Well, I mean, I, I feel like it's a very unique concept. Um, I, I see that there's, there's a lot of things that it borrows from um, Castlevania, Mega Man, Mario, but um, the whole idea of evolution and also de-evolution is something that I, um, I don't see out there, and I really want um, to show that. In a week or so, we're going to try and put out another video, and with that, it... Um, I really want to see that. Yeah, yeah, the, the de-evolution, the idea is, um, I mean, the, the moral of the game is, like, even a single pixel can achieve great things, you right, know, right. underdog kind of thing. So the de-evolution is there to encourage you to not just level up, but also to think about the abilities you had when you were smaller that maybe are disadvantages now that you're bigger. So, like, Pip, as one pixel, can fit through tiny gaps right. and sneak into different areas. And each version of Pip has advantages and disadvantages, and the level design will encourage you to choose wisely which Pip you're going to be. Right. Do you have to choose your which kind of Pip you're going to be at the beginning of a level? I mean, I think you, sh you should start off as level one Pip, and then you just, um, the way the level progresses will allow you to then make your path that way. So... Um, you know, it it's there will be a lot of choices there, but there'll also be like a, a starting point so that the level design can lead you the way that it wants to. Right. right. So you you kill enemies to get their pixels and level up and you if you're hurt or you choose to de evolve, then you can use the advantages of that lower evolution. Right, right, right. But it's work again to get back up to the evolu the, the evolved yeah. state, right? Yeah. It shouldn't be too much work. I don't want to uh, spend too much time in the grinding aspect of it. So that's where we want to try and break off from other games like Castlevania, where you have to really strike each enemy a million times. So right. Um, right now, we're trying to put out a demo in a week, and hopefully, with that demo, we can really show how our gameplay can work together and how evolution isn't going to be the slow-paced sort of thing. Excellent. And, I mean, you guys have just released your, your Kickstarter video, right? So, um, how's, it, how's it going so far? Pretty good. I mean, uh, we've got a little over 25K mm -hmm. in right now. The response um, seems really positive from the people yeah. commenting. And a lot of people really like the project. Um, I think um, 
they're waiting to see a true gameplay video of the evolution process, and so we'll be delivering that in a week, and hopefully that really shows well with everybody. Excellent, excellent. So can you talk about some of the technical challenges that you had with uh, with this game? Some of the, some of the technical challenges? Yeah, I can definitely do that. Um, I would say, you know, this this first game I was a lead programmer on is uh, Pug Run. You know, it's mm -hmm. a 2D side-scroller as well. Um, and so when I actually got hired here, they were like, what kind of games do you like working with? And I'm like, I, you know, I'm a big fan of the Super Nintendo era, I think. Right. This when I realized so I was like, 2D games. So we started doing these 2D platformers with Pug Run, we started. And then I almost view Pug Run, you know, it, it did great, you know, it made a profit, and it got received really well. But uh, I, I, it's almost like a warm-up to what we're doing now, right. right? So, like, a lot of things I learned from Pug Run, I was able to, this time around when we start doing uh, Ventures of Pip, um, learn from those mistakes and avoid them. Um, again, probably the biggest mistake Everyone in Pugger, I'm going to talk about Pugger for a second. Um, so there, there was, um, talking about the memory thing right. again, right? Probably the biggest mistake we made is uh, we used to have these, they're like full screen scrolling background textures, right? right? Um, which they come out to like four megabytes each at full color, full detail. And... Um, one or two four, I mean. I mean, it's a yeah, it's a ten twenty four by ten twenty four texture. Right. right. And the other thing is, is we had transparency because we had like a parallax effect right, on it. Right. 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 And um, I found out very quickly the iPad one draws very slowly. Yeah. Like the draw calls, we had to cut down the transparencies, we had to cut down. So um, that kind of made me very very aware of memory, how to handle textures. Um, it was another one of the reasons why we switched to smooth, smooth moves. Right. And um, that, I, I would say that put the project back probably a month we had to do. because Pug of the, Yeah, Pug Run. Because uh, to get around it, what we ended up doing is we made geometry for right. the background. Right. Um, so we didn't have to use transparency, which saves some... Oh, this is pretty, pretty technical, but... No, no, it's good. I mean, yeah, so, so that, that was a huge thing. So um, going into that entering pixel now, it's like I'm able to record... I know how much memory we're using, how much texture memory we're using, how much sound memory we're using. Um, and I always want more parallax layers. Yes. Like, no. Yes. Um, <laughs> we have kind of tiling sort of backgrounds. Like, if they're cut up into little smaller pieces, no full screen yes. textures or anything, and they, they repeat. So we found well, some workarounds. And now that we're developing for, you know, PC and probably console, too, we can get a little fancier. Right. Yeah, it was, we're planning on having like full screen, full screen transparency, which is something you can't do on mobile that we can do here, um, which is super nice. It's um, nice to have a little more breathing room for that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, do you guys make use of um, 2D Toolkit sprite dicing feature? The sprite sprite dicing, um, we use 2D Toolkit mainly um, for for our tile maps for our level editor. Right. So um, one of the nice things, one of the really nice things about 2D Toolkit is you can, we'll have a, a sheet with all the different kind of tiles on it, right? I think we can fit like a hundred and something tiles on one sheet, right. uh, 1024 by 1024. Yeah. Um, it'll automatically cut them up into all the tiles for us, and then we can, I can actually specify uh, what the collider should look like for each tile. Right. So, so if we have like a ramp, for example, I can say I want I want a triangle, the collision to be like a triangle. Yeah, like um, 45 degrees, 30 degrees. Yeah, like uh, it makes actually, it easier for the level designer. You actually can place vertices along the 2D toolkit. Yeah, sprites. yeah, you, yeah. Yeah, you can like draw out the collision that matches this particular tile, 
And then so when the level editor goes through, he can you know set all the tiles up, and 2D Toolkit will automatically be like, oh, okay, this is what the collider should look like right. so that our character can run over it, which, I mean, is a huge time saver. Um, in Pugrun, it was each individual tile had its own square collider, its own box collider <laughs> attached to each tile. So as you're running, there are literally like 100 box colliders on the screen at a time. Oh, jeez. Okay. But two, yeah, 2D Toolkit will just make one mesh collider that, that fits the whole thing, which is really nice. Yeah, that, that is awesome. Um, and so do you, it sounds like you use 2D Toolkit pretty heavily. Yes, yeah. It's, it's the foundation of our level editor, of our level, you know, how we lay out the levels. Um, and yeah, I can't, I can't recommend 2D Toolkit enough. I mean, I know <laughs> Unity has their new 2D systems out and everything. But um, which I haven't used. <laughs> all right, it's for I think for like the like level editor, editor yeah. 2D's toolkit works really well. But it's way easier to use Unity's like sprite system for okay. like in-game placed objects. Mm-hmm. I guess the thing is, we started this before that was <laughs> yeah. around. Yes. And, uh, and we're probably gonna be. I'll probably be making all the like placed objects using Unity's sprite system now. Okay. Nice. That's, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, I'll definitely. I'm. I'm kind of excited to learn Unity's new 2D stuff. So, right. right. Yeah. Um, you were talking a little bit about physics. Did you have much problem doing physics uh, in 2D before Unity's whole 2D physics? Um, stuff? <laughs> we we actually don't use Unity's 2D physics. We're still on the old. Again, because you know when this was originally Pugrun. Right. Right. Well, um, we forked Pugrun and we started making this one, and we've been working on it since before the 2D physics was available. So it still uses the old 3D physics stuff. Um, one thing I've learned, also I hang out in the Unity forums and I see this a lot, is when programmers think, oh, we have a physics system, you know, they think that they can just say, like, to move um, move <laughs> this thing around and the physics is going to act normally. Do you know what I mean? Like, I can chuck a car over a cliff and it's going to work. Right, right. right? But, but once you start dealing with it, the, the physics is very touchy and I find that it's best for detecting collisions and then maybe handling like a specific event. Right. But you can't really just like throw something off a cliff and expect it to work and everything to work well. So we kind of control where we use the physics a little bit more. Okay. Okay. Do you so, have a custom grid system that you guys have created? Or? Um. So 2D Toolkit, you know, they they set up the the colliders. Right. You know, we right. have a tile map. You can place the tiles, and the colliders match that. Um, we're using a character collider right now, which um, if we had to redo this, I'd probably use a rigid body right. with a custom character collider. Um, the only thing we really use with the character collider is being it moves around collisions on its own, right? right. Like Unity sets that all up, but um, our ground detection, our you know, um, if we're like I want to know if the ground is below me or if I'm hitting my head on something or if I'm running into a wall. All that kind of stuff we did ourselves okay. um, using raycasts, right? Um, because you know, we found the character collider is really good for some cases, but it doesn't do everything we needed. Right, right. So we have to extend it. Do you have that common like two uh, D game thing where you can jump through a level and then land on? Top oh of yeah, we, we we have they're called jump through tiles. I don't right. know what other people call them. Yeah, that that took me a while to figure <laughs> out how to get exactly right. And um, I mean, it comes down to I have we have a collider. I have to do math. I have literally have to do math to f- figure out if the bottom of the character collider is above the top yeah, yeah. of the jump through, and then I turn it on and off the the collider. Oh on really? And off. Yeah. Okay. It's, so it's it, I turn it into a trigger collider, or I make it so it actually stop the player from falling through it. Right. Um, but yeah, it, it has to check every frame. 
for that, you know, yeah. and it does the math to see, right, am okay. I above it or am I, you know, intersecting with it or below it so I can jump through it. You, um, you spoke, all, uh, spoke earlier about forking the project. What kind of um, source control solution do you guys use? Um, we use SVN. Okay. I, know, I know GitHub is very, very popular right now, Git. But um, we, we're using SVN. We use a, a company called Project Locker, projectlocker.com. Okay. Um, they're a cloud-based SVN solution. I think you can get like one gig and one account for free. Right. Um, I, I'm not too familiar with it. I just know that I'm happy we don't have to, we don't have to run our own SVN server because yeah. that's not what we want to do. We want to make games. Absolutely. Um, and can I just ask a little bit, because one of the big issues that people have with Unity is learning how, how to commit stuff properly, right? So, uh, <laughs> uh, seeds, uh, yeah, you, you hear us laughing right now? Yeah, yeah, no, I, I know. One time, an entire character's animations mysteriously vanished after Garth was on that computer, oh and nobody gosh. knows what happened. <laughs> <laughs> I know that. <laughs> So, um, so was there a learning curve for the artists and game designers to, to use SVN? Definitely. I had to ask so many times, what do I do now? But, I mean, I got the hang of it uh, eventually, and I feel pretty comfortable with it now. But we've had our share of mix-ups, especially because uh, the level editor, for a while, two people couldn't work on the same... Wasn't mm, yeah, the, like only that? only one person could work on the level editor at a time. But right? we had two level designers for a while, <laughs> oh, so... No. <laughs> yeah, I had to um, fix that. <laughs> so, what was your solution to make things prefabs and then link them in the main scene? Uh, yeah, so so if you play, you know, if you look at the gameplay videos for Adventures of Pip, or you play um, Castlevania or Metroid or a lot of these games, um, you'll see like you kind of walk off the screen, right. you exit a room, and then you walk into the next room, right? right. So. So we kind of have the same system where you can walk around, but when you reach the edge of a room, um, you'll walk off screen, and then when you go off screen, what happens is we destroy the pre the level you're on, and then we we generate a new prefab, we instantiate a new prefab of the new room that you just right. entered. So um, yeah, we use we use prefabs. Every single room is a different prefab, and we load them and get rid of them, like. And your, gen time. your general um, methodology for handling scenes, because I know people have different things. Some people love like lots of scenes and additively loading scenes. You've got some people who stick with a single scene and load everything in mm -hmm. from the resources folder. Uh, what do you guys do? Um, we, we actually do a single scene, and we load it from the resources folder. And the reason for that is the current version of the game we have has like 100 rooms, right? Right. So um, if we wanted to load, have each room into its own scene and load it async, right. asynchronously, we'd have to have 100 different scenes, and it would be hard to see all the rooms together, Join in, together right? in, in one big world map in our level editor. Right. So, so for our game, it kind of made more sense to um, load them on the fly. You know, right. We have a prefab for each one, and we just have something I can detect. Hey, are you are you in a different room? If you're in a different room, let's load up a different prefab for that room. Excellent, excellent. We use different scenes for working, though. I have like an animation scene, like a layout I, scene, and you. Um, right. Yeah, yeah, and then there's like the gameplay so, scene. And um, we have a scene just for the level editor, where the level designers will work in that scene. Right. Just to keep things kind of separate, make it easier to commit without accidentally like <laughs> committing a ton of stuff. Like um, 
For some reason with smooth moves, when you view an animation, it shows up as modified whether or not you changed anything in it. Right. So sometimes people will view animations and then end up accidentally committing something, right. sometimes on top of other changes that have been made. Gotcha. So the separate scenes <coughs> kind of help keep it a little bit more uh, controlled and mm. like easy to sort out, I guess. Are you guys using uh, text as far as your, you got the, you know, four subjects to text mm. in your um, editor? Oh, in the, in the editor, so you yeah. you got like all the metafiles. For the, the, yeah, we have all the metafiles. Okay. Um, we, we use the metafile system. I think we've used that ever since I, I started working here and since I started working in Unity, so... From an artistic standpoint, um, what is your take on Unity, and how do you think you can make it better? Uh, well, <laughs> I don't know too much about <laughs> Unity's animation tools. I, I use Smooth Moves mostly. Right. You want to talk uh, about the other programs you tried? Oh yeah, we were we were testing out Puppet Two D for a while, and it seems like it has a lot of promise. It's very inexpensive, but it also doesn't have too much support at this point because it's really new, um, and there were bugs and things that came up, like following the tutorials to a T did not yield. <laughs> like, the same thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think that has a lot of promise. That has like actual bone animation where you can make the 2D art into a mesh and like deform it and everything. All right. Um, unfortunately, Smooth Moves does not have that, so like you can't just make like wiggly tentacles or something. You'd have to cut it up into a bunch of different segments. Parts, right. Put it on different little bones and animate those. Um, I Smooth Moves is pretty straightforward to work with. We've had some issues. Um, we have like weapons that you can swap out for other weapons and we so we had to look into like atlas swapping and things like that. Right. But uh, you know it's pretty solid. Atlas swapping seems to be a big issue, right? Um well, Mark really wants to be able to reskin enemies by just being like, I'm going to put some new art on that. Like, <laughs> so we've got a little beetle character. It's like, well, let's just take the same animations of that beetle, and now it's shell, let's add spikes to it. But right. then that, you're changing the silhouette of the, the pieces, basically. Yeah. So, so that's something that you can't unless, do. Yeah, unless there's something we don't know, it, it seems like that's some crazy difficult thing to do. And it's, it's pretty annoying. <laughs> right, right. Are there any other bugbears that you have? Um... Was it with Smooth Moves? I remember we, we did a thing. We actually got ha hold of the source code. Right. The Smooth Moves. Not the editor, but the uh, the runtime for it. And I know our, our CTO actually made some modifications to make the load times a little bit better. Right. Because um, I know we did have an issue with that. I think we're probably going to send them back a patch if we haven't already. All right. But um, other, and then I, when we ported to Windows Phone and the Windows Store, it was spitting out some errors, but... You know, we had the source code, so we were able to fix those errors. Um, it was complaining about a missing default constructor, right. which I don't know why they need it. If you're a programmer, you're like, why? Why do you need that? <laughs> you know, but why are you complaining? Yeah, yeah but um, no, no. So I mean, but but with those things, it, I think it's been pretty good. It's a good good two D solution, um, especially for mobile, where you're restricted on on memory and stuff like that. Right. And uh, it seems like a lot of the Flash artists can pick it up pretty quickly. Yeah. Oh, that's good. That's very good. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I know there's a lot of Flash guys who listen to the podcast, and that's one of the things that they're always moaning about. Is that oh, yeah. one Bring thing that I really hope that they fix someday soon is you can only pick one keyframe and modify it at a time. You can't shift select and, like, you is know. Is this in smoothness? In smoothness, right. <laughs> yeah. I'm oh, sorry. 
That's the one thing that just drives me insane. <laughs> so you can't like change the depth on like the arm for the whole animation. You have to go through keyframe by keyframe and like change it by hand. Oh, sorry. Should, uh, maybe maybe I'll email the smooth news guy. Some of the feature, feature <laughs> well, one of the feature requests that I'd really like for Unity is that in their animation tool you can actually scale the frames, right? Because it's a bugger when you make something that's 30 mm. frames and you're like, I want this to be longer, and you have to go and move out each frame. Oh, right? wow, yeah. Yeah, yeah you just want to be like, <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, yeah, maybe in the future. Um, talk about audio. How has your experience with audio been in Unity? With our with our audio, um, it's been it's been pretty good. Just straightforward. I mean, um, we, we've been we've been doing mostly mobile games up to this point. So I know we we have a our guy. He he like again because on the iPad one, which thankfully we're, we're not developing for anymore. But uh, with this limited memory, he actually had to go through change everything to mono and um, see how low he could uh, set the battery before <laughs> before it sounded horrible. Right. Um, <laughs> So, I mean, I'm glad we don't have to deal with that anymore, but, uh, no, I mean, audio support in Unity, I think, is really good. Right. Like, it's pretty, it's straightforward. Um, once you have the setup, it's it's literally, like, one line of code to play a sound for us, so. Interesting thing that I found out at GDC was that, um, that the Dolby guys are, have a plugin for, uh, for Unity, and that um, the Dolby plugin is it's available on some of the Kindle Fire tablets, but also every single Windows 8 machine will have Dolby really? Stereo. Yeah, oh. yeah. so that's an interesting new tech to play with. Check that out. Yeah. yeah. Um, so after Adventures of Pip, where to from there? Wow, that's a <laughs> <Sir> beer. <laughs> One at a time. <laughs> yeah. might, might take a vacation. Uh, no, right, right now, I mean... Adventures of Pip. I really want to do Adventures of Pip. I'm really hoping our Kickstarter um, succeeds because, right. like, I love this game. I love 2D art. I love, you know, um, all this stuff. So I really want it to succeed. And that, that'll probably be keep us busy through, I don't know, for till November, September, right. November, maybe past the end of the year. I don't know. So, um I don't. I don't. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mark, we're we're doing a few projects at the same time. Like like we said, we prototype a lot, so those are always going on. But the main focus is going to be Adventures of Pip. As far as what happens after that, either we move on with one of the existing prototypes, or we we try something else. Right. How do you guys traditionally get funding for your games? Traditionally, um. Because no, it sounds we, like Kickstarter is a new adventure for you. Yeah, yes. yeah. yeah um, um, I think we usually work with publishers. Yeah, we do a lot of publisher games. So, um, other than that, as far as Pug Run, you know, it's a matter of finding backers for it. But this is our first time going into Kickstarter, and um, you know, we'll see how this one works out. If it works out well, then we'll try doing more Kickstarters. Um, so I just gotta go around the room and um, ask your favorite game to start over here. Oh man, um, I'm gonna say probably the last generation. I'm a huge game of all time. It has to be World of Warcraft. Right? <laughs> I, I got I got a horde, horde tattoo on my back. Um, of the last gen, I, I gotta say Red Dead Redemption was was a great game right. that I played through. We um, actually have a live Google Doc that everybody in the office has yes. contributed to that shows their top 30 games. And we oh, wow. judge each other. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, you I'm going to be your friend. Basically. <laughs> uh, how about you? Um, for me, I, 
I guess Final Fantasy VII. I've got a boring list. It's what everybody else likes. But I think the most unique thing on my list is River City Ransom. Right. It's my favorite NES game. It's a traditional beat-em-up. And I think um, the Scott Pilgrim game on XBLA is very much trying to copy that type of game. And, um, you know, because it's very successful. It's very cool. It's like Double Dragon plus RPG. Right, right. How about you? How about you? Uh, I love World of Warcraft 2. <laughs> uh, like other, than that, <laughs> other than that, I, I really enjoyed Last of Us a lot. Oh, excellent. Yes, yeah. I love that game. That was, that was brilliant. Um, oh, man. When I was a kid, my mom didn't let me have video games because she thought they were going to rot my brain. Right. So the first... Uh, how did she react that you're in the industry now? Oh, she's okay with it. I mean, I have a, I make a living. So. <laughs> but, um, yeah, the first device that I got was uh, Game Boy Advance, and the first game I played obsessively is probably still my favorite, uh, Yoshi's Island. Right. Like, such beautiful art, cute characters, fun gameplay. That's what I'm all about. <laughs> Charlotte's favorite game is Neopets. Neopets. <laughs> 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 Um, we're gonna be on Tuesdays. Um, we're gonna try to do a Twitch Twitch thing where we oh, play through some games. Um, I'm pushing for Secret of Mana. Right. We're talking about like 2D pixel games that really influenced me. That's one of the games That's, me and Garth have in common. As oh, I love favorites. I love Secret yeah. of Mana. That's probably my favorite Super Nintendo game. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> Is that why you got hired, right? I'm sure it's one reason why, right? Um, well, excellent. So, how can the public get a hold of you guys? Are you on Twitter, or um, I mean, obviously, you've got a URL for the um, Kickstarter. Yeah. Um, Kickstarter, Facebook, Twitter. The Kickstarter URLs aren't the easiest thing to type <laughs> in. Yeah. So, I'd say go to Kickstarter and type in um, "Adventures of Pip" and you'll find us and back us. Yes, <laughs> you'll find us and you will back us. <laughs> yeah, we're on Twitter, we're on Facebook, and our our live stream is on Twitch. Right. Mm-hmm. I think we're at TikTok One on Twitch. Fantastic. And uh, TikTok Games, that guys can follow you there um, on Twitter, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. At TikTok Games. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for your time. This thank was you. Excellent. Thank you. And I uh, hope you make uh, lots of money. Yeah. 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 Hopefully, we make a fun game. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks.